It's been such a lovely retreat so far. We've all been enjoying um, the staff and us who are uh, teaching, guiding this time, all enjoying our being together as friends. We're great friends with one another. And so you might feel that friendship there and that camaraderie. And um, we're trying to be in all of our different ways um, represent the teachings of the Buddha as best we can. Today I'd like to talk about, as my Dharma talk, the power and benefits of renunciation. So renunciation, of course, isn't such a popular subject in our society. I mean, even when you hear the Buddha talking about renunciation, there was a, a part of his quote from the Buddha said, my heart did not leap up <laughs> the um, subject of renunciation. And so just as a way of starting this um, talk, I'd like to um, share with you a comic strip I came across. And this was a strip by um, the cartoonist Dick Brown, Hagar the Horrible. Maybe some of you have come across this particular one. Sometimes there's some pit, uh, pithy perspectives in them. And this one had a, a good one that I want to share with you. So there are four frames in this uh, particular comic strip. See if you can picture this with me. The first frame is Hagar, who is this shaggy, scruffy, red-bearded Viking. This is how it's described by, by this cartoonist. Um, climbing up a steep, steep mountain, huffing and puffing as he climbs up, very, very steep mountain. And the second frame is when he meets this wise sage at the top with the long white beard and white robes and sitting cross-legged. And he says, oh great sage, please tell me the secret of happiness. So in the third frame, the sage replies, simplicity, self-restraint, and renunciation. So the fourth frame shows Hagar asking him, is there anyone else up there who can help me? We don't like that answer. <laughs> Renunciation, simplicity, self-restraint. So I'm adding a a subtitle to this uh, renunciation, and it is the happiness of letting go, the happiness of letting go. So as I um, go through these various um, subject matters within renunciation, I'd like you to think about renunciation as having two sides, like the front and the back side of a hand. The first side uh, which renunciation is better known about, is letting go of something. Usually it's letting go of something material, something in its kind of gross form, material form. But it can also mean letting go of something we're clinging to. In the Buddhist teaching, um, renunciation is really letting go of greed, hatred, and delusion. It can be clinging to an attitude of mind, or just clinging to habit patterns by their habitual tendency, not even seeing their habitual tendency and just allowing that to continue. So we're clinging to, in a way, delusion, not seeing. So we can cling to an attitude of mind, a habit patterns that no longer serve us at all, but those habit patterns still continue to leak out of our lives and in our speech and our behavior and our thoughts. We're letting go of wrong understanding, um, letting go of something unpleasant, letting go of opinions and judgments about ourselves or another, letting go of the past, clinging to the past, letting go of fear of the future. All of these things uh, we are all personally and 
maybe some of them more intimately aware of in our own being in the way they um, this kind of um, not seeing these sides of ourselves but we are in the process of letting go of them simply by virtue of our mindfulness practice and which brings along with it a lot of wisdom and a lot of ways that we can work towards um, letting go. So in this deepest sense, renunciation actually sees a danger of clinging to experiences, to material objects, to wrong understandings, wrong views that don't bring benefit. So um, the other side of renunciation is letting go into something, letting go into something beneficial. So this is what actually is the, um, the thing that lights the path for us, that kind of wakes us up, that makes us happy that we're on this path of renunciation because we have this understanding that letting go of attachment, of aversion, of delusion brings peacefulness. It brings contentment, generosity, goodwill, compassion, clear and wise view, a sense of empowering ourselves because these we get in touch with these possibilities, potentials for all of these beautiful qualities to be alive and accessible to us. So the Pali of renunciation, that ancient Pali language that the Buddha um, transmitted, that the Buddha's teachings were transmitted in, this Pali word is nekam, and translated, it means renunciation. But more complete understanding, it means to go forth or to go out. And I, that was kind of interesting to me. You know, it was um, always in the Buddhist teachings, I found a place of clearer understanding when things uh, were talked about like in nature, like an example was given in nature or in, in life where we could actually feel it in life. It's not just a heady understanding about it. So this more complete understanding of Nekama is about going out from a place that is confined and dusty, a prison. And it's going out into a wide open space, a space where we can see more clearly, where more things can be seen and they're not hidden by delusion or by ignorance. So it's more about gaining a sense of clarity and freedom. It's more about having a deep sense of relaxation. And when that happens, um, there's more and more liberation in the mind and potential for, for it. So to put it simply, renunciation is letting go in that way. It's sort of, it's letting go because we can see the, um, the a negative side or the harmful side of holding on or of aversion of delusion and ignorance. And we can see the positive or wholesome side or the liberating side of what we let go into when we let go of harmful states of mind, harmful speech, harmful behavior. So for example, we might let go of attachment to material things. Um, I'm what we call um, a, a person who loves pleasant things being around me. And so you might call, you, you know, that I'm, I'm the type of person who gets attached to things. I get easily attached because I'm drawn to what's pleasant. It was really helpful for me to hear this story from Achan Cha, one of the great masters of Thailand, and I believe one of um, Jack's Cornfield's teachers. He said, when you get something new, like a cup, 
it's better to see it as already broken. This will lessen our attachment to it. So I, I learned this great lesson when I had a new car and it was one of the rare new cars that I got in my life. I usually bought um, used cars, but I bought this new car. I had three children and um, the middle child was um, uh, uh, a young man and had a friend. They were just learning to drive. And on the first day I got the car, I didn't go through, you know, just feeling how I was uh, understanding how I might be attached to that car being always perfect. But it, at least I had some idea I'm going to I'm going to try to keep this as dent free as I can. I'm going to park in the right places away from everything else on the on the last part next to the sidewalk and not where different cars can bump my doors, etc. But on this very first day that I got the car, my son's dear friend got a new car or new car, an older car he was driving and bumped into my car. And it was kind of wrecked <laughs> the first day I got it. So from that day on, I really tried to heed that advice of Achancha to see it as already broken. Then it's less suffering when you understand so perfection, this is really a difficult thing uh, for me to, I do like to be in their place, etc. Another story I heard from uh, about Achan Chas, he was invited to England and entered the meditation area to see a portrait that was perfectly, um, a perfect likeness, likeness of him. And he, you know, he looked at the portrait. This is a story I hope I heard and hope I'm telling it correctly. And he made the comment, perfection is suffering. And so just holding on to things or people or um, ways that we need it to be just perfect. So when I see that and suffering comes up, and see that in myself, I see, oh, I, I know the cause of that. I can go back to the cause of expecting something, even my practice to deliver, you know, some really calm place for me or some kind of insight. So letting go of things needing to be just right, just perfect, letting go of needing to be right. Uh, one of my great friends a long time ago, 25 years ago, she was actually the one I, I thought who coined this phrase, because I started telling the story about this person in Dharma Talks. And she had been going through um, this three month course with her partner, they had been going through some difficulty, they had just moved out of their house to take this retreat together, and still kind of um, having some back and forth about arguing about this and that, leaving at this time, etc., being at that place. And finally, finally, she came to the understanding she was going to give up letting go of her ideas of how things should be. And she said, I'd rather be free than right. I'd rather be free than right. And that stuck with me all these years, you know, just how many times I would get in some kind of uh, back and forth with one of my grown children or a partner or dear friend. And I would just think I'd rather be free than right. There's no sense going any further on this argument. Or even when I would say, think it was, I was going through it myself, just quietly, it would just more easily be dropped. So letting go of views and opinions, um, letting go of attitudes that cause myself and others suffering holding on to grudges like that. So it's not about a deprivation. This is more of um, what we, we what we can get back from it is a sense of release, a sense of happiness, maybe a sense of more calmness and peace. So um, there can be a greater happiness than what we're hanging on to. So another story I was in Burma and it was, um, I believe this was 
the first time that I ordained as a nun just temporarily, but I was having regrets about it after ordaining. And it was hot and muggy and I was wearing these nun robes, you know, polyester robes. And I was going through menopause during the time and thinking, fool, you know, what was I thinking? And um, it was hot and muggy, very difficult. My states of mind were arising. Uh, I wanted to go home. And there were several times I came into the um, uh, retreat um, check-in with my teacher, Upandita. And he, he sort of, he's known to be a very intuitive teacher. He's masterful at intuition. And so um, just kind of drudging in the very beginning of the retreat, telling him about my practice, but doing it as best I can. And at one time he started chanting something when I was walking in and before I did my bows and I was wondering what, what's he chanting? And he's chanting in Pali to me. And when I got to my seat and put my hands up in Pranam, the translator said, Sayadawji was chanting this. If one sees that a greater happiness is found by letting go of a lesser one, the wise person will let go of the lesser happiness. So I kind of thought Sayadawji could see right through me. I was wanting to go home. I didn't want to be there, you know, during that time period. Letting go of that happiness of my home, the comfort of my home, to find a greater happiness. And indeed, it was a great time. That was that time of being a nun in Burma was one of the happiest times in my whole life. I look back, I've had four children, happy to have all of those children be a mother. But this was the happiest time of my life so far. So going on retreat is such a radical form of renunciation, as you all know from your own experience in relationship to most of the world. Um, a friend of mine and a yogi of mine who is here on retreat right now says he, he stopped saying to people he was coming here on retreat for six weeks and it was going to be a really difficult time for him, you know, to go inward. And, and he said he stopped telling people that because people just laughed at him, you know, like you're going to Maui and you're going to do this retreat. And no, it, it, as you all know, it's, it's not like a bowl of um, cherries or a bunch of roses to smell. There's a lot of dukkha that comes up that gets to be known. So we're giving up a lot when we're here. I, I know that from my own practice, you're giving up being, um, you're in your comfort of home, but you have to give up a lot. You know, the days just giving up our devices are really hard. Giving up our connections with other people, being in this COVID lockdown once in a while, um, that too happening. So we're simplifying in, in a very radical way really simplifying our lives. We let go of the comforts that we usually have. We let go of uh, put away things that might distract us, the books, the to-do list. And um, so some of you have reported already, you know, a another uh, level of calm and peace has started to arise. But for some of you, of course, still connected to um, family or loved ones, and wondering if you need to be there. And so that's kind of a, you know, a heartfelt distraction, of course. So a, a profound sense of renunciation is practiced in retreat. And some of you are trying to practice as best as you can this uh, noble silence. And that's really, really hard to do. You know, we see um, that even when we're in retreat, we've got this jabbering going on in our own minds. I love that um, sentence. I don't know if it's a Buddhist teaching is do not speak unless you can improve upon silence. And so that that um, guides me a lot when I'm 
in a, in a meeting and I'm pondering on saying something. So it might be better just not to say anything at that time. So we experience how it allows us to be more clear and present when we know that we can practice renunciation, when we're connected with something that's deeper within us, you know, connected to a quiet mind that can see um, what, what wisdom is, you know, what leads to what's beneficial, what leads to what's harmful, and to renounce what's harmful, practice renunciation there, and to carry on with what's beneficial. So in our quiet minds, we're seeing more clearly what's going on without all the distractions, without needing to talk so much. It's a wonderful letting go uh, that we experience this possibility of knowing each moment and seeing that that moment can be good enough and not needing to reach out for other things that will occupy us. So many of you are familiar with the 10 paramis and um, these are the 10 wholesome qualities of the heart and mind that are of paramount importance. Paramount is one word that is kind of um, a description of paramis. They, when, when we look into what are the uh, roots of this word, paramount is one of those words that are the roots of paramis. It's said that the paramis can carry us across the shore of, um, of the suffering to peace. And sometimes it's just an immediate moment of peace. And sometimes it can be long moments, and sometimes it can be that deep, unconditional peace of Nibbana, which is what this whole path came to. So me means noble becoming. It means becoming a noble person, you know, really letting go of greed, hatred, and delusion on its deepest levels. And all the levels before that, you know, when we begin to see the, the the ways that the mind holds on or pushes or strikes out at or doesn't even see or maybe sees something but doesn't see it clearly. So renunciation is developed automatically as we uh, practice the paramis. And even in this retreat, I'm going to go through all of the paramis uh, one by one. And what I want to help us all to observe is how renunciation is part of what we gain when we develop the paramis. When we let go of hanging on, for example, we gain a sense of generosity in our hearts. So one by one, I'll go through them. And I'm going to read a quote from the Buddha about each one of these um, paramis that we let go into when we practice renunciation. So these are just good reminders that to, to notice them in your practice, and we have the preciousness of noting them, knowing them in our practice here at home, when we're in our own homes, and we, you know, we get into the habit patterns that we do in our own homes. This is su such a blessing that we, we have this opportunity to do this. Let the habit patterns be known, and so um, awareness to them. And then when we bring awareness to them, automatically there might be some kindness there, there might be some equanimity there, there might be generosity to ourselves or others there that we can let go into. So take notice of those moments also. So we're in the beginning of our retreat, we take notice a lot of the um, hindrances, of the kilesas, of the defilements. So um, I'd like to encourage all of you to also take notice to these beautiful qualities of the mind that show up when you're at home doing your practice and also make that a very strong practice. So as I go through each one, I'm going to read a quote from the Buddha or from an another a great being about um, that particular 
parami that helps us to understand what what we're letting go of and what we're letting go into so generosity is the first one dana it's the first parami and this is when we're letting go of the pain of holding on when we're letting go of attachment itself and we it's it's it doesn't get to be when we're in practice it's not so much about the object of our attachment it's about really feeling the pain of attachment per se and when we bring awareness to that there can be a very gradual and natural letting go of it because awareness accompanied by wisdom starts to see the danger of that attachment so we're letting go of attachment per se we're letting go we can be letting go of the object of attachment we can be letting go of the mental habit of fear in in generosity itself you know we let go of the fear of lack the fear of um a kind of let go of a poverty mentality you know that we won't have enough for ourselves if we let go of this um so it, it's it's a dukkha it's a suffering when we have that feeling but it's also you know good to bring compassion to it but it's also good to bring that awareness to it that really sees how ephemeral it is you know that that moment we can um, let go of that and find ourselves more generous we let go of holding on even holding on to habit patterns this is what we learn in our home practice what are the habit patterns that we just keep feeding and by virtue and in, in naturally incorporated that in that is holding on to them not even knowing that we are so we're letting go of habit patterns, letting go of holding on to them. One of our um, teachers for most all of us has been Utejaniya. And he talks about generosity specifically as letting go of greed. So I'd like to quote the Buddha here in generosity. If beings knew, as I know, the benefit of generosity, they would not let an opportunity go by without sharing. So that's generosity. And the next one is what we call in, in Pali, in the Dhamma, sila. It's um, translated as morality or moral integrity. And this is really the sila of non-harming, of non-harming in our speech and behavior specifically. So here we're letting go of the insensitivity to hurting others with our speech or behavior. And, and what we learn by having this moral integrity is we get more sensitive to not just our what our intention is in saying or doing something, but just in terms of daily life. This is what I've learned in these recent times is I've become more sensitive to how what I'm saying or doing, how is that going to impact another person, the person I'm speaking to, or taking an action to or with. So um, that sensitivity becomes more heartfelt to us, more expansive, more inclusive, just to name one kind of sensitive insensitivity that we, um, we let go of. And we grow in more sensitivity towards non-harming. We let go of aggression and aversion in our speech and behavior. The Buddha said that sila is such an important part of our practice. It's one of the three trainings. Just a little bit more to say here before I introduce his, um, his uh, quote on this, that virtue itself is the platform or the foundation for liberation, for full liberation. So it's, it is really of highest importance that we pay attention to those um, practices of non-harming, 
that we chanted in the very beginning of our time together, uh, not harming in our speech and our behavior. So I'd like to, this is, this is the example that the Buddha gave of how virtue can lead to the highest and it, it has its reward. So one thing leading to another. So quoting here, virtue has non-remorse as its benefit and reward. Non-remorse has gladness as its benefit and reward. Gladness has joy as its benefit and reward. Joy has serenity as its benefit and reward. Serenity has happiness as its benefit and reward. Happiness has concentration. Concentration has insightful understanding as its benefit and reward. Insightful understanding has non-attachment. Non-attachment has liberation as its benefit and reward. In this way, virtue leads step-by-step step to the highest, and to that full liberation. So utterly important that we pay attention to that path of training. So the third one, uh, third um, of these paramis, of these noble um, ways of being, is the development of wisdom. And just in an everyday way, I'd like to describe it as letting go as the, the comfort zone of living in delusion. Somebody once said that to me, the comfort zone of living in delusion. And um, something that this person was trying to see more clearly in oneself. Naivete, you know, the, that kind of comfort zone. Not really, um, maybe we don't understand uh, a lot about um, racial injustice and racism. And we're just, you know, okay to just be there, to not really understand it. So wisdom is letting go of that comfort zone and in that delusion of just, you know, having certain ways of seeing things that can be expanded upon and understood more clearly that would give great benefit to others. But we choose to live in our comfort zone. So wisdom is letting go of that delusion. Of course, the opposite of wisdom is delusion and ignorance. So when um, we let go of ignorance and delusion, what we get is wisdom. That's what we're living into. It can be um, wisdom is uh, letting go of not knowing, but it's also letting go of not to know. We might know things and just know it to a certain point, but it can be knowing wrongly. Um, so this is about wisdom. This is from Sayadaw Utejaniya. Renunciation implies a strong, uh, sorry, wisdom by Utejaniya. Wisdom inclines towards the good, but it is not attached to it. It shies away from what is not good, but has no aversion to it. Wisdom recognizes the difference between skillful and unskillful, and it clearly sees the undesirability of the unskillful. So that's another, a big part of wisdom on our everyday life basis. It's to see that what I'm thinking to say or to act out is harmful or unskillful. And so there's a refraining, there's a renunciation of doing or saying, but it's also seeing the side that might benefit. And it helps, it helps us to know, oh, this is clearly skillful and to go forth into that. So this is the part about wisdom. So that's wisdom, renunciation, um, of that, of ignorance and, uh, and delusion. And the next one is uh, energy. 
the development of energy in our practice. And I want to talk about energy as the gentle perseverance of our effort, moment to moment, continuity in a gently persevering way, not in a striving way, but in a way that allows us to feel balanced as we go through our practice. So it isn't striving or strident or like uh, we've got an agenda. It's more like just this moment, just this next moment, again, this moment, again and again. So when we um, develop this right energy, we let go of procrastination and kind of the, the um, I'm just going to call it laziness. <laughs> that's, that's what I would say to myself. Just get up early. Go to the first sitting, Kamala. You don't have to just lay in bed and be lazy. So um, I... I use that word lovingly towards myself. So I'm not procrastinating my, my practice or what I need to do in life for the benefit of my family and myself, my community. I'm using my energy for the good of all and not kind of holding it back, but finding out what is the right energy for me at the time. This, um, this, uh, quote comes from Ramana Maharshi. And I believe that uh, Ramana Maharshi is talking about this right effort also, not this striving effort. No one succeeds without effort. Mind at peace is not your birthright. Those who succeed owe their liberation to perseverance. It's that gentle, persevering effort in in our practice, in it. keep keeping the continuity. Sometimes when we've asked our teachers, what's the most important thing, you know, in, in our practice, like at home or in, uh, in a retreat? And usually one of the first words that would come out is continuity of effort, um, gentle, persevering continuity. So that's energy. And the, the next one I want to talk about is patience. Um, I was born with that name. Sometimes if I haven't changed my name on the, you know, that uh, shows up when you all see my picture. Um, my birth name is Paciencia. That means patience in Spanish and um, also in Filipino. And so um, I guess I my mother knew what I needed in this life because I really had to practice a lot of patience. Um, letting go of the arrogance that life has to revolve around my pace, my schedule, my needs. And um, I, I don't see that on a big level on myself, but I see the little places it can come up. And so I know I'm letting go of impatience when like one of my children would say, mom, I, I need the car again. And I would have impatience with that. And I would say, mm, think about it. Then would come, why not? You know, That's fine. I don't need to be impatient with that child for always needing that car. Just one of the things I remember about raising my four children. So patience is a really important practice. Actually, it allows for all things to be seen in our practice, not rushing or not having an agenda in our practice of liberation that we are all doing together. It's really important to not rush the practice. And sometimes rushing the practice means that we've got some agenda that we're not seeing, that it has to be a certain way. And... Um, so know that what what's happening uh, in your own mind and maybe just by seeing that kind of hanging on to some idea of when uh, liberation or insights insights or calm should happen that you might be able to um, let go 
into more patience. Buddha said, patience is the supreme virtue. And I would hear that, I would hear that a few times when I would be practicing. Um, the teacher would say it in times when I was in Burma or other places in the world with my teacher Upandita or Manindraji. And um, yeah, that's true. Patience is the highest virtue. One time again, when, when, I don't know if it was that particular retreat where I wanted to go home. Usually in retreats, I want to go home, but that was a bad time. But usually also in retreats, I can feel like something in me is rushing to be liberated. I have a very strong um, urgency. It's really strong in me, spiritual urgency. And sometimes that can come out as a rushing in my practice, wanting things to happen. And so um, I notice I need to practice patience a lot there. So that is truthfulness. And um, no, that's patience. The next one is truthfulness. So truthfulness is letting go of deceiving ourselves in, in, in the deepest level. It's letting go of deceiving ourselves and also deceiving others. But I want to talk about this thing about letting go of deceiving ourselves because I learned a great lesson about truthfulness when I, I was at that very first long retreat that I took. I went away for the first longest time that I went away from my children to take a retreat in Australia. It was a month long retreat. And I started um, to do the practice. It was about two days in, two or three days in. And the teacher called us to do a little group interview, what they call interviews. And so we were supposed to report what we were doing, what we were experiencing. And I heard people around me saying they were experiencing they could be on the breath and it was a long time and they could see whatever was coming up easily and um, they were um, only getting the hours of sleep that we were meant to have you know in the schedule which is only four hours a night and um, I thought wow I am in the wrong group this is not for me because I'm having sleepiness I'm, um, you know, all the kilesas are coming up. And so I just reported that. Well, this is what's happening. And in, in, I can't sit up in the retreat. Sometimes I'm nodding and um, it's hard for me to only sleep four hours and things like that, you know, just telling the truth. So the next day um, in the Dharma talk, Upandita said, um, to tell the truth in your practice is so important that especially to tell the teacher what is going on in you, you must tell the truth because how will I not know, how will I know what's going on in your practice to be able to respond to you? Not like how you want it to be, I'm just paraphrasing him, but actually how it is because how can you experience the truth if you can't speak the truth? Whoa, that just went, that went, went through me like a tsunami of clar clarification. And I thought, that is really true. Sometimes I fib. Sometimes that was way back when, you know, <laughs> I don't do that now. But, and sometimes I'll say things like, there were a lot of people there when there were only several you know, things like that. So I'm just much more precise about my speech. So this, this is a really good uh, that lesson to all of us because um, we're deceiving ourselves, you know, when we speak like that because we, we speak out and then we start believing it in ourselves. So we're only layering more delusion in, into our minds and hearts when we don't speak the truth. So being very careful, what, wherever you're at right now, where can you make a, um, 
you know, what do you call it? Uh, up-leveling your practice in that. So the next one is resolve. And that's um, letting go of wavering, lingering in doubt, in indecisiveness, weakness in courage, in being courageous. This is practicing resolve. So when we notice that in ourselves, which I've had to notice a lot of that in my own practice, letting go of wavering, should I do this or should I do that? No, the mind is wavering. I'm, that is known more clearly now. And then actually just knowing it, oh, it's just another thought coming by. It's just an empty echo that's happening. Lingering in doubt or indecisiveness, you know, just knowing when that's happening. And when just in knowing it, your mind can start to see the ephemeral nature of that. And it just goes. Many of you have learned that already. So practicing resolve. Um, this is a really important part of our own practice because it's sometime in our practice, we will get a resolve to actually know what's happening in the present moment, but also seeing that there's a clear path to another understanding or insight that the mind is ready to receive. And so sometimes oneself may know that that's supposed to happen, or the teacher may know that that is the next step for you. So we'll give a resolve. And when your resolve is strong, it will just and clear and your mind is fairly pure, it will just go there to that place. So having resolution, having resolve is very important part of our practice too. And in our lives, it's just in our daily life. This is uh, from the Buddha also. These are the four resolves, the resolve for wisdom, the resolve for truth, the resolve for generosity, the resolve for peace. One should not neglect wisdom, should preserve the truth, should cultivate generosity, and should train in peace. As someone asked him, I, I saw if we'll have these, I, I'll post all of these. Um, so when we when we have this uh, resolve, this aditana, we are letting go of that wavering, that lingering in doubt, you know. So some of you already have seen um, resolving to sit, you know, more in this retreat or less or walk more or rest more because you know that's your balance and being resolved to keep your balance. So there's different kinds of resolve. It doesn't mean that you have to have the resolve to be some kind of perfect yogi. Maybe there's a resolve to know what your balance is, to be compassionate instead of blaming oneself, and just to do what you need to do for yourself to, to get through a sitting, laying down practice, a walking practice. Not give up on yourself, but to know what you need to do for balance. So the next one is loving kindness. When we develop loving kindness, letting go of ill will, which is the direct opposite of loving kindness. So I like to call loving kindness goodwill because it's the opposite of ill will. And it makes sense. So when, when I feel ill will in my own heart, which sometimes I do to, you know, not to terrible degree, but I do feel ill will sometimes, and it can be let go of by simply knowing sometimes, oh, ill will is here in these moments. And sometimes it stays for a little while. And I just have to keep, mindfulness has to keep bring, being with it, knowing the, the suffering of that moment. So loving kindness, when we practice that, we let go of resentment. I heard one time the saying that resentment is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Wow, when I heard that, I thought that woke me up because I can, I can have resentment, of course, 
I'm a human being. Um, and, and through practice, a lot of that has toned down some, um, but still, I, lo I love what Manindra says, my path is not yet finished, and that's true for me too. So resentment is like thinking you're hurting another person, but it's uh, by thinking about that, you know, in a resentful way, but it's really just hurting our own hearts by feeding that pattern. So the moment I know that resentment is happening, it's like really try to incline the mind towards loving kindness because that will let go of that resentment. So um, um, Andrea was talking so beautifully today about how we um, can really feel our way into these things and practicing even loving kindness, it's a purification practice because it does bring up all of these opposites of, of goodwill. And um, it, it does that in, in a beneficial way for us. So this um, from the Buddha, hatred never ceases by hatred, but by love alone, this is the eternal law. And the last one is equanimity. We'll uh, be practicing a bit of equanimity here. Um, and uh, equanimity is really, what's it letting go of? It's letting go of reactivity. So the reactivity is uh, in two, it's letting go of aversion, it's letting go of attachment. So equanimity is a very powerful practice because when we let go of reactivity, just automatically letting go of things that are unskillful. And uh, it's also um, letting go of passivity because equanimity is not just standing by passive and not doing anything, but it's um, really acting or speaking with wisdom. And it's knowing when to not act and to not speak out of wisdom. So, and let go here, we can let go of, um, this, this is from Steve, my partner, the habit of dramatizing, dramatizing ordinary experience, uh, <laughs> when we can become, a, you know, um, just like sometimes, I see what I'm going to do, and then I think, oh no, I'm just going to be a drama queen when I act that out. So letting go of that and coming back to um, understanding that whatever I'm feeling now, I'm just going to be responsible for that feeling by bringing awareness to it. So I'd like to, um, this last quotation from the Buddha, about equanimity is one of the phrases that we use um, for the equanimity practice not always but but sometimes all beings are owners of their actions their happiness or unhappiness depends upon their actions and not upon my wishes so this has been a great practice for me in my life raising children sometimes as a single parent at some years as a single parent and um, through their teenage years also and very uh, challenging as some of you who have raised children know um, and um, when I knew that they were going into some they were going to get into some dangerous experience or go into a place of harm harm of themselves or being in a place where they could be harmed, I would also, I would always speak loud and clear to them. I wouldn't just be, you know, namby-pamby standing by, okay, this is how it is for you. Um, I would really let them know how I feel about that. But when they still, and, and really ask them to be careful or not to do it, etc. But when they still went ahead and 
did what they needed to do because that was what how their life was unfolding and whatever was going on in their mind and heart was not under my control i would use that phrase all beings are owners of their actions but in a different way i would use the phrase all beings have their own journey and what that would do for me is to help me understand is I don't have control over their complete life. What trouble they get into, if they're harmed, even with all my admonition, um, I, I really can't uh, keep them totally from harm. I'm going to speak loud and clear, but um, when they do what they do, then it's... Um, it's their journey. And my children, grown children are all fine. They have their own ups and downs. But taking renunciation, getting our, um, here, taking renunciation in itself, practicing it on an everyday level is a very far goal of us. We get to investigate and to see and to be honest with ourselves you know, what, what's coming up in different areas of our life that we need to let go of so that we can let go into something else. And maybe by practicing these paramis on purpose that we're already learning how to let go, you know, then let go comes, letting go or renunciation can come from practicing these paramis on purpose. I haven't been able to um, deep practice um, in the past two or three years because of um, just taking care of things at home and doing some practice at home. But I really took on as my practice, as my main practice these last years, the taking on the paramis and really understanding that sometimes I really have to just not say anything and know that I'm practicing renunciation. Sometimes uh, practicing generosity when it's a little hard to give in to something, but I give in I'm practicing generosity. And it's an extra measure I do right after that. I say, whatever I'm practicing now, whatever has, I offer it of all beings. And so I put those two together when I'm practicing these paramis, which is my my main practice these days. So what is it for you, you know, in, in your life? What is it for you that you you want to felt connection to? You know, that it's not about, oh, I got to get rid of this, but it's a place where you really feel compassionate towards yourself in, in some area of suffering uh, in your life, in your heart. We need to really pay attention to that. Where do you need to let go into? And maybe you practice that first. Or maybe you need to really just pay attention to the suffering of whatever is being held onto or pushing away or the delusion of not seeing clearly. Where is that for you in your life? So just ending up with, with a question for you about that. And the, the deepest thing in our practice is renunciation, is um, which all of us have to one degree or another, is this strong wish to free oneself, to be liberated. And on, on, on the way there, you know, on, on our journey, it's to help others also. It's to help others in our community and what's going on in the world today. How can we be of help in the environment and the social injustice and um, the racial um, ignorance that is becoming more, more understood now? I'm grateful for that. But where, where can we let go of our delusion and um, our ignorance around all of that? So I'd like to read from Dilgo Kinsey Rinpoche. Um, this is this um, quote from him has always touched my heart. 
from the Tibetan tradition, of course. So um, he says, renunciation implies the strong wish to free oneself, not only from life's immediate sorrows, but from the seemingly unending cycle of conditioned existence. With this renunciation comes a heartfelt weariness and delusionment and disillusionment with the endless quest for gratification, approval, profit, and status. So I offer this for your contemplation and may it lead to your benefit and the benefit of all those around you. I take care everyone. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.